Okay, let's read uh, God's word together. We are going to read from 1 Peter, chapter 1, verses 14 to 23. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do, for it is written, Be holy, because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty ways of life handed down to you from your ancestors. But with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect, He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and and glorified him. And so your faith and hope are in God. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. So now we'll turn to our passage in Leviticus, which is Leviticus 19, verses 1 to 8. The Lord said to Moses, speak to them, speak to the entire assembly of Israel and say to them, Be holy, because I, the Lord your God, am holy. Each of you must respect your mother and father, and you must observe my Sabbaths. I am the Lord your God. Do not turn to idols or make metal gods for yourselves. I am the Lord your God. When you sacrifice a fellowship offering to the Lord, sacrifice it in such a way that it will be accepted on your behalf. It shall be eaten on the day you sacrifice it or on the next day. Anything left over until the third day must be burned. If any of it is eaten on the third day, it is impure and will not be accepted. Whoever eats, whoever eats it will be held responsible because they have desecrated what is holy to the Lord. They must be cut off from their people. When you reap the harvest of your land... Do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the foreigner. I am the Lord your God. Do not steal. Do not lie. Do not deceive one another. Do not swear falsely by my name and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. Do not defraud or rob your neighbour. Do not hold back the wages of a hired worker overnight. Do not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block in front of the blind, but fear your God, I am the Lord. Do not pervert justice, do not show partiality to the poor or favoritism to the great, but judge your neighbour fairly. Do not go about spreading slander among your people. Do not do anything that endangers your neighbour's life. I am the Lord. Do not hate a fellow Israelite in your heart. 
rebuke your neighbor frankly so that you will not share in their guilt. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Thanks, Bron. Morning, everyone. Welcome to everyone and a special welcome to if you're visiting or you're new with us this morning, it's great to have you here with us. And if you're watching us there on the live stream, welcome to you and a special welcome to if you've been invited along perhaps this week and uh, you've clicked on the link and you're watching us. So uh, welcome to you and I hope you find our, the time that we've got together this morning very welcoming and very uplifting. Uh, Paul Cooper's my name, feel free to call me Coops, most people do. And I'm one of the pastors here at Trinity Church Modbury. Let's pray as we begin. Heavenly Father, we do ask that you'd help us to be open to your word this morning. And we pray that we might hear your message clearly and that we would be changed by it. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I thought I'd uh, begin this morning to get us to think about identity and the way that our behaviour or the way that we act reflects on our identity. Because it does, our behaviour does reflect on who we are or who we identify to be. So uh, I'll give you an example. Imagine um, you're, uh, you're thinking of a surgeon, someone who's doing transplant surgery, for example. And if you think of that sort of person, you think reliability, don't you? you know, someone's reliable, they're trustworthy. That's someone who's going to put your needs and your health ahead of everything else. Someone who's going to do whatever it takes to get you healthy. That's their identity as a health professional. They look after a, a sick person's best interests. Now, I don't know if you, um, I don't know if you saw. You're going to see a picture in just a moment, but yeah, the clicker is is on. Not my fault this time. <laughs> Normally, I don't turn the clicker on. All right, I'm just going to rely on the click. Yeah, thank you. So, um, yeah, so a health professional, you, you expect them to be looking after your best interests. Now, you might have read about this guy up on the screen, Simon Bramall. Simon Bramall's a British surgeon, and uh, he does liver transplants. And he, he, so obviously he's done a lot of those, and he did a couple of patients not so long ago, and one of them had follow-up surgery. And uh, another surgeon who was operating on this person found these initials, SB, had been burned into her liver. So it turned out Simon had been operating and just adding his initials into his handiwork. Now, if you read that and you were due for liver surgery soon, I reckon you'd be wondering, is my surgeon going to leave just a little autograph? I'd be booking an operation with someone with a really short name. Because <laughs> this guy, this, this guy Simon, he wasn't living up to his identity, was he? You know, what he did didn't reflect well on surgeons in general. So how much more for God's people? How much more do the actions of God's people reflect on God? That's the question I want us to hold in our minds as we come to the end of Leviticus today. We're finishing off the book of Leviticus. And what we'll see is that God reminds his people here over and over again that he is the Lord, their God. And he is holy. He's their God. So that's their identity. 
And in these closing chapters, and we only read a little bit of it, but there are this whole series of commands that tell them this is how you live up to that identity that you've been given. And so we'll take a look at that and then we'll see what that means for us as we think about that in the light of what Jesus has done for us on the cross. Now, as I said, we've just read a little bit today in chapter 19. Leviticus actually finishes at chapter 27. So there's a lot we haven't read uh, and we're only going to be able to cover um, just a little bit. But I'm going to mention some of the other chapters as we go. So firstly, uh, let's just notice where we are in the book. It seems obvious, but we're at the end of the book and we have all of these laws and regulations that have been uh, written down there. And uh, what we see is that chapter 18 covers these basic principles of sexual behaviour. That's chapter 18. Chapter 19 covers how Israelites should relate to each other. Chapter 20 talks about our punishments for crimes. And then later on, there's rules for priests. There's rules for eating sacrifices, rules for religious festivals, and, then, and quite a few other things. And in all of it, one phrase stands out in this section and actually in Leviticus as a whole. It's repeated over and over and it's this. Be holy because God is holy. Be holy because God is holy. And we heard it this morning and we'll see it on the next slide. Bronwyn read it in uh, chapter 19 verse 2. Be holy because I, the Lord your God, am holy. And if you noticed as uh, Bron was reading through that was given as a motivation for those commands. And that's a pattern that's repeated through the end of Leviticus here as well. So if we look on the next slide, verses 1 to 3 in chapter 19, it says this. Each of you must respect your mother and father and you must observe my Sabbaths. I am the Lord your God. So can you see the motivation there? Do these things. Respect your father and your mother. And what's the motivation? I am the Lord your God. And why is that? What does that mean for them? And why should they obey these commands? Because I am the Lord your God. That's the thing that I want us to look at uh, firstly. And I want to try and understand that from the Israelites' point of view. This motivation that God gives them for, for their obedience. So these commands that have come at the end of this book... If we think about where the Lord's people are uh, in terms of time, um, they've been rescued from Egypt, haven't they? The Lord's rescued them from slavery. He's brought them to Mount Sinai. On the next slide, chapter 25, verse 1, tells us that. The Lord said to Moses at Mount Sinai, so that's where they are. They've been saved and redeemed from Egypt. Now God tells them how they are to live. See, they're on their way to this promised land, to this land that God's given them to live in. And so he's telling them how to live when they get there. And it's in that order they are saved and then they're given these instructions because they don't earn their salvation. Did you notice that? The Lord never said, do all these things and, and then I'll sort you out. No, he saved them first, then he tells them how to live. So the Lord is revealing his character here to them. He is full of grace. And we talk of grace a lot in the New Testament, but the character of the Lord doesn't change. He was always full of grace. He is full of grace. And here in Leviticus, we see the grace of the Lord. 
as he freely rescues his people and then lays out how they should respond to that. The Lord is full of grace. But he did more than saving. He brought them to himself, just like he promised he would, because he wants his people to live alongside him, to dwell with him. And if you think about that, if you, if you really think about that, that is an extraordinary thought, isn't it? Like, why would the Lord, who created you know, all of this, why would he want his creatures to dwell with him? He's God. He doesn't need anything. He certainly doesn't need broken, sinful creatures like us. But he does want his people to dwell with him. And we've heard through Leviticus, he gave them a way for that to be possible. He gave them the sacrificial system to deal with their sin so they can be with him. And he does it all because he loves. And here we see another part of God's character. He loves the unlovable. But it's not a love that doesn't care about right or wrong. That wouldn't be love, would it, if he just didn't care about right or wrong. That wouldn't be loving if he didn't care. He does love. So he does care about right and wrong. And in chapter 20, if you read that, you'll see that he does judge. When sinful humans violate his good order, there's child sacrifice and adultery and a whole bunch of stuff in there, then there are consequences because the Lord is a Lord of justice. And so what we see in these commandments is that they reflect the character of the Lord. His requirement for sexual purity, his requirement for behaviour toward each other, sexual behaviour and normal everyday interaction, his requirements for justice. All of these requirements given to the Lord's people reflect his character. He's showing them who he is. A faithful, just God, full of grace. And undeserved love. And he is a holy God. And he's theirs. We see this again here in chapter 19. You know in your Bibles where it has the Lord written in capitals. And it means it's his personal name that's being talked about there. Yahweh. His personal name. It's the name that he used when he first introduced himself to Moses. So here where it says, I am the Lord your God... The word that's being used there for Lord is God's personal name. He wants them to know him personally because he's their Lord. He's chosen them. He's rescued them. And the creator of the universe wants them to be with him. And so what's the response to that? The response is to live his way, isn't it? It's to conduct themselves in a way that demonstrates who they are. The Lord's people, chosen, rescued, forgiven, brought into his presence. That's what these lords describe. The Lord's people to be holy as he is holy and to do what he commands because he is the Lord, their God. And for us, now in the 21st century, well, God's character doesn't change. And the writer of the the New Testament book of Hebrews, he says this in chapter 10. He says, The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason it can never, 
by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year make perfect those who draw near to worship. Otherwise, would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshippers have been cleansed once for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins. So from that, can you see how this law in Leviticus, it actually points forward to something better. It points forward to a permanent solution to this problem of sin. Because ultimately God doesn't want dead animals. Like what he wants is our hearts. What he wants is our hearts. And he is a just God, full of grace and undeserved love. Which is why he sent his son, Jesus, to die. Jesus, who was sinless, the perfect priest, who can approach God on our behalf. He's God's son. And so he's the ultimate sacrifice that pays once and for all the price of our sin. And he died on the cross and endured God's anger because God is a just God. Sin has to be dealt with. There's a penalty to be paid for sin. God can't just let it go and still be a God of justice. But he's a God of grace and undeserved love. And so God the Son took that punishment on himself for the very people who reject him. And that is love, isn't it? That is the ultimate act of love. And so God says, do all this and says, if you trust me, if you believe Jesus did this for you and you want him to be your Lord and your saviour, then I'll forgive you your sin. And Hebrews goes on to say, since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. See, believers have access to God through Jesus. We do dwell with him. We are able to draw near to him. And we can be bold and confident and joyful as we do it. And our hearts are sprinkled clean because of Jesus. And so then, for us who believe in Jesus, what is our response to that? See, it's still to live his way, isn't it? It's still to live his way. It's like the Israelites, but it's different. Because our situation's changed through Jesus. So those food laws that we heard about in the previous weeks that are written into Leviticus, they don't apply to us anymore, which is great because I love prawns. But the food laws, they're there to remind the Israelites that they're God's people, that they're different to the nations around them. It's to remind them of the holiness of God. But Jesus is our reminder. And the gospel unites all people to him. So there's no difference between the Jews and everybody else anymore. And we don't need to worry about the the cleanliness laws that we heard about in previous weeks. Faith in Jesus cleanses us reconciles us once and for all to God. We don't need to worry about those laws anymore. But the Lord's character hasn't changed. He's still the Lord, our God, and he's still holy. 
So Jesus changes our situation, but we still respond to what he's done and live in a way that reflects his character. And that's why in the New Testament we see over and over these regular calls to moral living because they reflect God's character and they reflect his good order in creation. And that part hasn't changed through Jesus. It's actually quite the opposite because Jesus came to restore God's good order in creation. And maybe sometimes we don't see it, but God knows the best way for us to live in the world that he created. So let me take, say, two examples from Leviticus and try and show how they apply to us today. So firstly, chapter 18, which we didn't read, but chapter 18, it describes, uh, or there's all these regulations of sexual behaviour. It's laws that show us what God's intention is for sex. And they were needed because the, Israel, the Israelites, if you know your Old Testament, they're heading to Canaan, to the Promised Land, and they are surrounded by nations who are into some really weird sexual stuff. There's some really depraved things described. Things involving animals with each other. And the Israelites, they are to avoid all of that. They are God's special people. And that intention behind sexual purity hasn't changed. And that's why we see on the next slide why sexual morality is so well described in the New Testament, like this passage in 1 Peter, which we did hear this morning. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do, for it is written, Be holy, because I am holy. Perhaps more so because Jesus gives believers access to God. We can draw near him, know him personally, bold, confident, joyfully. Jesus makes us God's special people, his adopted children, and our Father is holy. So we too are to be holy as he is holy. Now the Israelites, as I said, they're they're heading to this place surrounded by nations who are sexually bankrupt. But we live in a nation that is soaked in sex, don't we? We live in it and none of us are immune to that. No one is immune to that. Because desire is such a powerful thing. And that hasn't changed either. It goes after whatever satisfies it. And so guys... It might not be that we're about to commit adultery, but maybe the eyes begin to stray just a little more easily than they did. Or maybe what gets watched on TV just stretches the boundaries a little bit more. Or maybe the internet and the odd mouse click go somewhere that no one else knows about. Or maybe it's easier to fantasise about being with someone else. And maybe in the mind, it reasons that it's under control and this is where it stops. It doesn't go any further than that. But brothers, sin in the mind is where unfaithfulness begins. And Jesus brings us to a God who is never unfaithful because he is pure and faithful. And so we are to be holy because the Lord our God is holy. And in this 
sex-soaked environment of our society today, sex outside of marriage has become expected. It's pressured almost. And it's changed the way we relate to each other. I read a report uh, recently by the Australian Institute of Criminology did a study on sexting, you know, where someone takes a sexual picture of themselves and they send it to somebody. could be Snapchat or SMS or lots of different ways. And this study was done from people between the ages of 13 to over 25s. And what they found was 67% of people had received a sexual text like that and almost half had sent one. Like numbers like that, it's becoming normal. And it doesn't care for people, it just treats them as an object for our own enjoyment. And yet Jesus brings us to a God who is not selfish. He is entirely selfless. And we are to be holy because the Lord our God is holy. And so you see that the intent behind these sexual behaviour laws in Leviticus chapter 18, the intent behind those is still very relevant today. Because Jesus came to restore God's good order that's been messed up by sin. Sexual purity and faithfulness reflects God's character. He is a faithful God. And we are to be holy because the Lord our God is holy. That's our identity. Or the second example, chapter 19, there are these laws about neighbourliness or loving your neighbour. In chapter 19, it says things like respecting the old, which I'm more and more pleased about each year. Talks about loving the foreigner. Talks about loving your neighbour. In here, in Leviticus chapter 19, verses 17 to 19, it says, Do not hate a fellow Israelite in your heart. Rebuke your neighbour frankly, so you will not share in their guilt. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbour as yourself. I am the Lord. There's a love for each other there, isn't there? And it hasn't changed. Jesus said in John 13, love your neighbour as yourself, which we'll see on our next slide, John 13, verse 34. Love one another as I have loved you, Jesus says, so you must love one another. And so this intent between what Jesus says and what we read in Leviticus hasn't changed either. It is actually loving, isn't it, to gently rebuke our neighbour, to do that in a frank way. Maybe, you know, we might talk about that today as speaking the truth in love, instead of holding on to whatever the issue might be between us. And the flip side of that, listening graciously if we're being gently rebuked. If we get good at that, we are much less likely to carry grudges between each other, aren't we? That's loving. Otherwise we create divisions between ourselves, even if we just carry it in our hearts. But Jesus brings us to a God in unity who never bears a grudge. He forgives and we are to be holy because the Lord our God is holy. And so the intent behind these neighbourliness principles in Leviticus 19 are still very relevant. Because as I said earlier, Jesus came to restore God's good order 
that's been messed up by sin. And this love between his people reflects God's character. He is a loving God. And we are to be holy because the Lord our God is holy. That's our identity. And the thing is, we don't do it on our own. We don't. If you believe in Jesus, then his death and his resurrection pays for all our sin. We are already holy before the Lord. We are already holy as the Lord our God is holy. We are forgiven. And the Holy Spirit is given to us. And so those things that I described, if you've visited places on the internet, if you've been part of some division and held a grudge against your neighbour or other things, much worse, I want you to hear that through faith you are forgiven and you can do all things through him. And if you don't know Jesus yet personally, you might be sitting there or watching on the screen and being perhaps quite confused. Leviticus laws, Jesus, Holy Spirit... What? But if what the Bible describes here about forgiveness and about God's right order of things sounds good to you, if that makes sense, come and ask me about it. Because Jesus holds his love out to you as well. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your reminder this morning in Leviticus of who you are, and of your character. Father, we ask that you help us to live your way and in line with your right order of things. Father, we thank you uh, that we are forgiven and we ask that we might know your assurance. Father, that all sins are forgiven, that we are made holy through faith in your Son, Jesus, and that through your Spirit, you continue to work in us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.